listening to In Our Humble Opinion with me, Gary Henderson. And me, Ian Sturbridge. Um, this week we are continuing with our running theme for the last few episodes um, of cyber security or cyber resiliency, depending on which term you prefer. Um, I, actually, on that, Ian, um, uh, I attended a conference recently. It was a, an information security conference. Okay. And they talked about cyber security, cyber security. But yeah, in educational circles, I've heard cyber resiliency um, mentioned a few times because... You can't be secure, so resiliency sounds better. Any views on oh, that? Oh, okay. Well, it is our humble opinion, so here we go. Um, so, to me, uh, I, to be honest with you, I actually get quite annoyed by the use, the phrase of the use, cybersecurity. I prefer the phrase information security because um, whilst we are protecting our data at the schools. If we look at it holistically from a kind of Data Protection Act point of view, the, pa- the, the paper that's in your filing cabinet is information uh, as well as the stuff that's digitally stored. So to me, cybersecurity is a subset of information security. Does that make sense? It's an interesting... I've never really thought about it that way, to be honest. Well, it's just a, that's I'll, my I'll personal a- view, of course. <laughs> I'll be honest and say I've seen plenty of films and whatever, so I, I love the term cyber, cyberspace, oh. cybersecurity. It it sounds a bit more ja- jazzy. Maybe maybe it was the you know the the obviously the the relevant IT security people thinking we need to make this sound sexier. Oh, I definitely so think we'll call it yeah, cyber. Yeah, I think it was kind of a victim of the rebrando gun, <laughs> and they thought yeah, let's make it sound a bit more interesting than inf- I mean information security has a similar ring to stamp collecting and there's going to be like thousand philatelists now are they called philatelists i hope i hope mispronounced that there's going to be thousand stamp collectors now uh, abusing me because i've not only pronounced their hobby wrong i've said that it doesn't sound very interesting which i'm sure it is um it's a, well it's going to be equally as interesting as cyber security isn't it let's face facts so um the, the the yeah so so cyber resilience and cyber security to me are not the same thing uh, personally because Resilience um, is about your ability to maintain and survive, in my opinion, whereas security is about having the practices to protect, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's I, I, I say it's all nuances, isn't it? It's all nuances. But that's how I, I, you know, when I think about security, I'm thinking of kind of I'm thinking of a defensive thought. But admitted, and admittedly, that could be defense in depth, that can be defense in layers. But whereas I think about cyber resilience, I'm kind of going beyond um, just thinking about securing stuff. I'm thinking about the recovery. I'm thinking about the 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 protect the get it coming back after. Maybe the security aspect has failed. The cyber security has failed, but our recovery procedures have um, have come to come to come to the rescue. Uh, so yeah, I don't know that that's it's actually very interesting. And I will be going away and doing some more research. I think maybe next week I'll come up with a quick summary. But that is my opinion, which you asked for, and that'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, and and actually that kind of um, leads quite nicely on to you know our, our kind of. Um, wider chosen topic for today um, and as you just said you know resiliency is maybe about you know when it goes wrong how you can bounce back in the recovery so I I mean let's let's talk about that let's talk about the 
when things go wrong. And um, actually, at, at the conference I was at, um, one of the presenters, and I can't remember which one it was, referred to it as the oh shit moment. <laughs> I think that's um, in the English dictionary. So, I think we're allowed to have that one, so that's fine. Uh, but no, I I, I was thinking, I, I, try, I was trying to think of a polite version of that earlier. Uh, and showing my age, I reflected on, uh, there was a character in Dad's Army, I believe it was Mr. Jones. And uh, and his his favourite phrase, don't panic, don't panic, as he ran around panicking. And I was thinking, that looks like an incident response plan. <laughs> because um, if you, the thing is, if you don't, um, if you haven't rehearsed something, the first time something happens is unpredictable. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's that's exactly it. I think though the one thing I'll say um, in terms of incident management and looking at you know um, cyber incidents is that you know no matter how much you prepare and whatever, the opening period that that probably that first hour will be confusing, will be difficult, there will be mixed signals. You know, initially, I, th I think we've talked about it very briefly in one of the previous episodes, you know, initially within that first hour, th your initial thinking will be that this is an IT issue, that something is broken rather than the fact that it's a cyber incident. And, you, you know, you'll then go to, well, I wonder what's broken. It might be that, it might be this, it might be the other. You'll explore things. And and then you'll get to a point where oh hold on a minute maybe maybe this isn't something broken maybe this is a cyber incident, and then there'll be a period and all of the throughout this period the phone will be ringing off the hook <laughs> depending on um, what's broken. Because, yep, because everybody will, will well yes I, I suppose or or there will be a queue at your door banging on it going why are the th the IT systems not working. Um, you know what's not working and when will it be fixed? You know, and at that point you're still wondering. Um, I'm not actually sure what's not working. I'm not actually sure when it's going to yeah. be fixed because I don't know what's wrong. I mean, and there's. So I think it's interesting because you used a phrase. Well, you've used two phrases, and now it's my turn to ask you about phrases. I, I knew I get my own back. It's great. Um, so you used the phrase incident management, but you've also used the phrase incident response. Now, I personally think they're two different things. And I did a quick check earlier. And actually, the NCSC on their website also kind of have them as two different things. So for me, right, I think we should... I'm, well, I'm going to give you my interpretation of the NCSC's information. For anyone who wants an accurate interpretation, just go to the NCSC website and look for instant management. However, for my, my brief and, in humble opinion, summary of it is... The idea of incident management really is to try and control and minimise the impact of an incident. Would you agree with that? So the, ma the entire management of the incident from the very start to the very end. And so when I'm looking at that, I'm talking about, I'm probably actually looking at it now from maybe an SM uh, senior management team level or something in the fact that there will be, global communications or there will be re there will be communications required to speak to various people once an incident has been identified now just when you were talking then about you know you and I are trying to diagnose what a fault is um and go, oh is it a fault at some point you and I will have the oh shit moment when we suddenly realize it's not like kind of standard system fault we're fighting with we possibly have 
a cyber incident or um, or it could be a system incident of a serious impact nature. And so either way, and again, you could have you could say, well, do I have a two incident management processes or you go, actually, if it's a serious impact incident, even if I haven't thought if it, I haven't defined it as a cyber incident, it could be an internal system failure incident that is so severe that it needs management and it needs control. And so there is the management of the incident is to me um, where the senior managers, external stakeholders, legal bodies, for instance, maybe even the ICO, the police, um, maybe you have a third party insurer that you need to talk to. All of that needs to be managed. And and the people, you and I, I would class... Now, I may well go back and report to the incident management team, but I would probably class myself more as part of the incident response team. The team actually dealing with the incident. Yeah? So I just thought I'd bring that difference up because I've heard sometimes people talk yep. about incident management and incident response interchangeably, and I don't think they are. I think they are different things. I think the SMT communication global management is management, and I think the firefighting, the actual problem, is the incident response team. And so yep. um, we could talk about those as two separate aspects, or we can bounce around them, or we could just start with the incident response. I don't know. What do you think? Well, no, I see. I, I think you've got a point, but also, I, 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 you know, I would sort of suggest that. Um, I mean, if you look at the kind of phases of an incident, you know, you you're going to get you know detect, you know, dis detect. I, I always get them wrong. What is it? Detect, respond, recover. It's always something like that. Well, <laughs> um, and then you do a review at the end. I always get it wrong. Now, there, there, again, yeah. there there are different. This is this is the wonderful thing there about are different, there are different what, models. So I, I and I yeah. looked this up earlier as well. Um, so NIST uh, have a, a it's about a hundred page document on incident management guidance on how to ha on how to handle management in great detail. It's a very good document. Uh, Eight hundred sixty one revision two, I think. Don't quote me on it, but I think it's that right. Um, the last time I looked at it last year, that was the one I looked at, um, and it talked about phases in its document of a life. Uh, phases, an instrument had yes. a life cycle, and they like to use the word phases. And the phases they talked about were preparation, which I was a bit confused about. Yep. Then there was the detection and analysis of the incident, yep. which um, is fair enough. Then there was containment, eradication, and recovery as a phase. And then the final phase they talked about was the post-incident activity, where you probably review your internal process and other bits and bobs. So, so that's how NIST described it. But I've also literally, as we've been talking, just dived back to uh, the NCSCs. A little, they've got a lovely little diagram of it. And so they start off with triage. And, that's, and then they say triage splits into two paths that are parallel, one of which is analysis or analyze, and the other is contain and, and mitigate. Uh, and the, both of those feed into remediation and eradication, which, is, uh, which can be an iterative loop because you could be doing remediation and eradication and then feed that back into further analysis and to see if it needs further remediation and eradication or whether you've actually achieved your final goal. And then eventually they feed into recover once you've contained uh, and eradicated and then they go into review. So, but, but realistically, we are looking at fundamentally four or five, I think five, five stages in NCSC, four phases in the NIST thing. But the steps are very similar in my opinion. Uh, you yeah, know. I think that... 
the ter- the terms change a little bit, but the steps are reasonably similar. But I mean, you know, when I sort of said, you know, recovery and versus management, I almost think the recover, you know, recovery sits within, you know, is managed and therefore sits within the well, overall process. That's that's the way well, I look so, at it. So, so to me, the management is over all of them. In fact, I would say management starts mm, yes. at the same point. Literally, as soon as we think there's an issue. That's as soon as we say there is an issue at that point where we go, we there is an issue. Management starts there, and management actually doesn't finish until the very end when you've done the full review process. Well, let's let's pick up let's pick it up there then. Let's because I think that's an interesting point. So, you know, you've got that investigation and whatever. You then suspect a cyber incident. You know, there has to be something written down, some decision in place as to who has the authority to call an incident. Yeah. So who would that be? You know, would that be the director of IT? Would that be so, the head? Would what was uh, your view? Now, well, so so that is a, you know, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant question because if you imagine, okay, let's 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 imagine a worst case scenario. Let's imagine you and I have both gone and visited a conference together. And both of our companies have had a cyber incident whilst we've been away. The first thing is, is if we don't have a fully documented process, no one, you and I may have a full mapped out incident recovery strategy or, or plan in our heads that we could just execute from memory. However, if it is not written down, we're the only people who can execute that. So in some, so that's why, first of all, it needs to be written. And everyone needs to know where that is. And that also needs to be available if all of your systems are down. Because obviously... <laughs> it wouldn't be the... You know, it the it's the chicken and the egg situation, isn't it? That I've got a digital copy of my instant responses. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to open my instant response plan. Oh, I can't access it because it's on server two that's been destroyed. It wouldn't be the first time I've heard that happen. Yeah. So so you need to think about that. And so you think, actually, OK, I probably need a hard copy of it somewhere as my final fallback position and that people need to be aware. So all of my team need to be aware, you know, in emergency, break glass, <laughs> go to in emergency, go to the fire safe, pull out folder number one and turn to page one and start following the procedure. And in that policy, you will decide amongst you who is best positioned to to make that first notification so you and i would be the most senior ranking it staff on our sites if we're off site at an exhibition or if we've both gone to bet uh, and it goes off then we would we should at least have a description of in this order these are the people this is the order of seniority within my team and in that order that is that that is who is responsible for it so whoever detects it must report it to the most senior person that you have nominated and that person is responsible for then execution of that plan from that point onwards. And, and the first step of that plan will be to notify the incident management team, in my opinion, because we're part of... I, I still kind of see us as... I may, we may actually exist in both teams, which is quite possible also. But if you, if you imagine the incident management may be, for instance, you might say, okay, uh, server number one is down, but I still need to register all of my students. So at some point, you need to get across to the academic staff, go, please go over to manual registration uh, until you have been notified otherwise, uh, and we will do- collect the registration documents from your classes, you know, that kind of thing. So, but we as IT, if we're still firefighting and triaging and analysing, 
we don't have the resource necessarily to go off and do all of those kind of required communications. So at that point, you would have an incident response team that would also be described, I think, in the document. Um, so that you know, who do I report to? Is it the principal? Is it the vice principal? Is it the print? You know, is it the head of pastoral? Is it the the bursa? Or is it is it the entire senior management team? And how should I notify them if all of my electronic systems are down? What is you know? Should I use a telephone? Should I use a a, a walkie-talkie? Should I just walk over to their office calmly and go? We've got a bit of a problem, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is the problem. We're working on it, and we will update you periodically. But we are now initiating the incident response plan. It just, uh, just, I think, what do you think? I think that's uh, yeah. I think that fits quite nicely, and I think it also highlights one other thing, which is that a cyber incident isn't an IT issue. It is an organisation issue. It's a school issue, yeah. and therefore, you know, the, the IT people may identify it, may raise it. But then there will be a, a management team, a critical incident team or, or an incident management team yes. that will need to look at it from an organisation wide. You're looking at things, as you've said, you know, how do you take a register? How does teaching and learning continue? How do we deal with safeguarding? How do we deal with, um, you know, guests and visitors? On, fire evacuation. You know, fire, yeah, exactly. how do we deal with all of that? So... You know that that team can be looking at that, and at the same time, you know the the IT team will be looking at right. How do we get the IT systems back if we can, or what is the the issues, or or what are the steps from that point of view? So I think I think that that sort of illustrates that um, kind of point quite nicely. I mean, you you said about this is something I I always wonder about, and you said about you know obviously the importance of documenting it. You know, so the importance of writing down what your process is. Now, when I was speaking with various kind of industry people, um, you know, the other week, and then they were talking about playbooks, you know, a different playbook for the different types of attacks or incidents they can have. So, you know, I, I've always wondered about that. Do you go for the, the very general kind of top level kind of process and, and this is what we're going to do? Well, which. It's a f- and try to fit everything, yeah. or do you write a separate playbook for every eventuality and have a, a you know an, an incident response plan that is is longer than War and Peace? Where, where well, do you sit on so, that? So, so it is a hell of a sharp fence that one, Gary, and I probably sit in the middle of it. In the fact that if I mean I don't come from a military background, but I have you know several friends who've served in various forces, um, and I think from a military perspective. They would always playbook it. They would they would have a playbook for virtually everything. Okay, now the banks the the banks certainly loved the playbook approach. But then again, the gentleman in the banks sort of made some comments about we live in a, a highly regulated industry yes. of compliance, and therefore if we didn't do this, somebody would have our heads. Yeah, and I and I can and I so in some respects their playbooks may be twofold in that it might be almost like a tick box for compliance um and also uh it might give a level of confidence now my personal opinion this is me getting on the other side of the fence right so first of all schools we don't have as much resource and we don't have dedicated staff okay um as you quite rightly pointed out war and peace size playbook you know writing a playbook for every single cyber incident what about the black swan events the what I mean, so WannaCry, there was no playbook for that because we did not seen it before. We just sat there and went, ransomware shut the NHS down? What? 
you know. Um, so as a school, it's I think it's really hard to write a playbook for all of the different eventualities. So in in my mind. Uh, and again, you know, I always kind of balance on this pragmatism and you're quite a good belie you know, believer of don't let perfection get in the way of good enough. So I like documents that are worded in plain English. That's me personally, because I find some verbose um, compliance type documents very hard to digest, especially in an emergency. When in an emergency, you are in a rush, you are under pressure, um, you're not going to probably be fully focused on reading the document. You're just trying to pick up the key things, what you actually have to do. So to me, I would rather have a plain English bullet point set of some basic things. And also that gives you a little bit of flexibility. In my opinion, if you kind of have, have you communicated, you know, have you launched, I mean, things that are very important are, you know, make sure that the instant management team and the SMT or SLT, whatever you want to just call it, is aware of the situation and initiating kind of the covering the coverage of this for you but after that I think um because I mean imagine if I had a hundred playbooks to go through so the is step one of my thing to go well it's not playbook one oh, it's not playbook two well it's not playbook three hmm oh, it's not playbook four uh, you know and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to throw go through all 100 playbooks and I go so I spent all that time just seeing is it any of my playbooks and at that well, at which point I'm then going Oh, it isn't any of those playbooks. Now what do I do? So at which point you always need kind of a catch-all flexible thing at the end, don't you? Yeah. I, see, I, I, I've, I, I've seen the kind of incident plans where they're exceptionally detailed and you just know that in the event of an incident, nobody's going to read it because it's too, you know, they've, they've got lovely Gantt charts about predicted recovery times and, you know, and it's like, it's just not going to happen, not in a real incident when everybody's backside's on fire, you know, you, you need, and I, I totally agree with your, your kind of point, you know, the, the pragmatic point and keep it, almost keep it simple, stupid, um, that, you know, that it's a bullet pointed list. It's a simple process. It, gets, it should give the basic building blocks. And I, I personally, I feel um, in terms of the, you know, what you might do is you might add some little appendices for yes. common things like ransomware and whatever. Um, and, and you might desktop, you know, practice... Well um, those kind of things. Well, perfect. I mean, um, in some respects, if you think, you know, because we said, first of all, you have to know where the document is. And I think at the start, we were talking about that you should probably also practice something so that you're not panicking and it's not the first time you've done it. Now, during the practice, you also have an opportunity to, to follow your document that you've written, your simple bullet point document. And you might find during practice, actually, you've left out a bullet point that was really important but at the time of the creation of the document, it was either a black swan or an omission. So the whole purpose of, of practicing is so, and also uh, your eyes and my eyes are different eyes. You may create a document and you'll, you know, you kind of get that um, bias when you write something that you be kind of become blind to the omissions of it. You hand it for peer review and they go, oh, what about X, Y and Z? And you go, oh, gosh, yeah, <laughs> okay, I better go and add those on then, you know, so... Uh, and I, that is why it is so important to practice your document because find out, was it simple enough to understand under pressure? Did it have any bits missing? Because that's part of, even if, even when you're doing every incident, the last piece of the incident is reviewing how well you handled the incident and how you could improve 
future handling of incidents. And that could be reviewing whether you need to get access to different resources or whether you need to just modify your document so that it's actually usable in an emergency as opposed to being something you can just put on the bonfire or, you know, use to heat the room. So, yeah, I, I think... I think that this that that actually kind of lines up also quite nicely. You know, with, with the distinction you brought er, you know, you brought earlier on about the kind of response and and management. You know, it, I also think it has to be tested at different layers. So, I mean, for myself, you know, I I think it needs to be tested at an IT layer. Mm. You know, what are the IT team going to do? You know. Are you going to continue managing comms? Are you going to pull down the shutters? You know, are are some of some of the staff going to act as runners for communication? Who's going to keep a note of what's happening? Because having a log and an audit of what's going on, what decisions were taken, what actions were taken is important. Who's going to do that? So that's one layer. But then a different layer, you've got that management layer. And and again you know, testing out at that level. Because I think one of the things I've found is, and you hit the nail on the head, you know, talking about, your, you know, you plan things and you think you've got it right and you've made some assumptions. And I think you've got to test it at an IT layer to see that there aren't any IT assumptions in there and then test it at an incident management team or whatever you want to call them um, at their layer to, to, te- to make sure that they haven't made any assumptions. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes that management layer is more important because being less technical means that they are more likely to assume, oh, ransomware. So we'll pick up the phone and do, well, hold on, no, 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 the phones won't work mm. because we're on a VoIP system and the servers that run that are dead. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll jump on email and send out an e- Yeah, no, 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 That's no, dead. no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> The email's dead, you know, dead as well because that's on a, on premise. Um, oh, but, and I, I think it's really, really important to do it both those layers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, communications on its own. If you imagine turning everything off on your site, as you say, VoIP's down, your email is down. Teams, if you've lost internet connectivity, Teams is down. Uh, teams could be down due to authentication. You know, there there are. A whole host of systems that we all take for granted because we generally have such, you know, 44959 reliability on our systems. We're just used to them being there. Come the day they're not, we are literally, we will make assumptions. I will just go to device X and do function Y. And device X may not be accessible at all. It may be locked down. Uh, And function Y, even if you could get onto device X, may also not be available. So as you and I think that's exactly why uh, you do these things. Um, I mean, uh, very recently we uh, we had um, a lockdown practice because you know periodically we practice a full site lockdown uh, because you know uh, as part of our procedure so that should it ever be required at the college, rather than it be something that's just a paper policy. We actually, the staff know to go to location X or door Y uh, and apply lock Z and they've done it and we've timed it and we've seen, you know, oh, the the back door wouldn't lock properly because it's a Tuesday or little things like that. That on paper don't seem to, you know, they wouldn't occur to you as being an issue. Yet when you physically try to do it, there will be some kind of obstruction you haven't catered for. It isn't in your playbook. You haven't predicted it, which is, again, why I think, the more flexible and the kind of smaller it is, that the, the, uh, gives you a bit of a better ability. Keep the key points in it that must be done. 
But then if you try and mandate every single step, then you're going to, I think you're going to box yourself into a corner, especially if the something that you have assumed is going to be there isn't there and all of those steps are dependent upon it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think you're right in terms of that, that kind of, you know, not trying to be overly detailed, but putting the, the kind of the, the basics in there, um, or at least making sure that you've got some sort of structure to follow. Yes. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, we, we, we touched, you know, briefly on kind of communications. I think that there are some things you can sort of prepare. Um, and if there's one thing that I think is quite important to have some preparation done, it's to have some of the comms done. Yes. You know, it's such as how are you going to communicate to your wider community? How are you going to communicate to, you know, and, and thinking about both the methods of communication and also really importantly, the message. Um, and it may be, you know, because every incident is going to be slightly yeah. different. You then have to customise those comms. Yeah. But it means that you're not running around, you know, with your backside on fire. As I said. Well, well, that's you know, it. And I, but you're quite right. I think practising the message, um, I think actually, Gary, is really important because the worst thing you can ever do, if, if you have an incident that you're in the middle of trying to manage, giving people incorrect information will only add to either to FUD, Fear, uncertainty and doubt because it's unclear or incorrect and people then try and verify that information and that will create more work and more traffic um, just to to handle the communication. So so I that, I think it's a massively important part and, and so should definitely be well rehearsed. And I think, you know, we were talking about playbooks. I do think you can have some some kind of pre-configured comms for very broad type of subjects. And I think so that everyone is kind of an agreed narrative of the most important information to share, how to share it, um, and what different methods there are to share that. So, for example, you might have um, a standby laptop that's not part of your system, that's isolated, that you get out once a week and charge and make sure the battery's good and give it a reboot and a cycle and then shut it down again and put that with a hotspot in a box that's also fully charged and, and your weekly test is, does the laptop work up? Can I connect via the hotspot to the internet completely independently of all of my systems? Because at that point, what you've given yourself, as you say, is an emergency communication channel I'm not saying that you could uh, manage all of your business functions from the one laptop with a mobile hubspot, but what you could do is you could start to manage emergency communications, um, and from there you might you can then start to to um, either get in extra resource via that immediate emergency communication channel, you know. So so there are as you say that, and that comes down to the preparation and planning. So the pre the preparation phase of an incident is I've prepared this laptop and thing that I charge up every week and I test once a week and it's fully patched and updated. And in an emergency, I get it out and I use this is my emergency comms laptop, you know. I, I'm going to rewind a little bit from there because you, you talked about the preparation yeah, I did. There. And, and and also earlier on, you mentioned that, you know, not cyber, but, you know, kind of information security. And I think that's a really interesting part of an incident, you know, of, of, of any kind of incident plan. It's actually knowing what you're trying to predict and yeah. and prioritizing it. You know, what what is your your key data? You know, what is your business, you know, organization, business critical, operations critical um, systems and, and things you want to get back first or 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 what are the systems that you want to shut down as quickly as possible in order to limit yes. risk to whether it's you know data exfiltration or whether it's you know corruption or whatever um 
knowing what you've got and knowing what your priority order is. Because I think, again, um, you know, IT sort of make a decision that, you know, so you or I possibly make a decision that we think it's an incident, we refer it up to, to SLT. Um, that might then take a bit of time for a team to convene and for a discussion. And um, ideally, I want to be moving forward rather than waiting. And therefore, if I know the Brilliant. default priority order for things, yes, yeah. I can already be moving forward. And would I, you agree with well, that? I've, I've, I would. And see, to me, one of the things... Um, I'm thinking back now. Do you remember... I can't remember the exact date of when it was. But Facebook basically dropped off the earth for a few hours and the whole world was like, where's yes. Facebook gone? And... The in the, the the one and I believe it was down to a routing configuration issue. I believe, and yeah, one I, of their I, problems I in one. recovering it was trying to get the right staff with the right access permissions and the right authority to make the change to bring it back. So one of the things might be that you just kind of get a pre-signed approval letter from the SLT saying. You know, um, once I, as soon as I've notified you about it, I'm kind of your. This letter gives me predefined autonomy to shut down any system I feel I need to without further notification. In the in the in the cause of trying to reduce risk and impact, and if you've got a kind of pre-signed letter of that, or you know, or, or or maybe it's an authority to enter a certain building or make an executive decision that would normally be, say, above your or my station. We call a shot that normally we would wait for that SLT approval, and we're sat there for two hours watching Rome burn. You and I are just going to say, "I'm going to get the letter out. I'm getting the fire extinguisher out." I'm putting this fire out now, and 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 I've I've done my thing. I've notified the SLT, but I have the pre-authority here. So if anyone comes back and says, "Who gave you authority to shut those systems?" and I just go, "It's in page two of the you know on my if you look yeah. at page two, here's the pre pre-assigned authority." I think that's that's an important bit to get across, though. You know, when when working with whoever the incident management team is, who tend to be SLT or SMT, whatever you want to call them, um, it it is making sure that they understand that in the course of of having identified an issue one of the actions that may have to be taken is to shut everything down yeah to limit exfiltration and to limit damage um and therefore you can't hang around for that and therefore it's in the incident management plan that should the director of it deem that it is necessary and in the interests of the the school or college in dealing with an incident, will act accordingly, including killing the internet, killing servers, yeah. etc. Um, I I think did I, I think I mentioned the possibility of working with third parties earlier. I mean, another thing in preparation. Let's say um, you, most of your IT team went out on a on a sort of team building event in a minibus. You've all been injured in an accident, so you're all parked up in casualty, being strapped up, and a cyber incident happens. It's quite possible that you may uh, have a third party that you work with that gives you uh, like third tier technical support or advice or consultation on projects that could step in and help recover or help mediate, but do not have any authority over your systems. Now, again, it might be useful for them to have authorised access to backups um, that they need to, to, to perhaps start a restoration process from. 
um, or a process to get that happening quickly without having to wait for four people to arrive out of casualty 12 hours later, you know. And, and this is quite good, you know, a lot of the things we're talking about here, if you do a desktop exercise and work through your plan, yeah. these things become apparent. It becomes apparent that, hold on, I've got to make a decision, but I'm waiting, so therefore I need the authority. Hold on, what if we're not available and we need to use our third party? Do they have authority, etc.? So I, I, I think that sort of highlights the importance of running through the plan and testing it out to see if it actually holds holds water. And And in doing this testing, that to me is also effectively training. You're training, you could be training staff to to how to instant results and if you're training them before an actual incident that's preparation isn't it <laughs> so as far as i'm concerned well, going through an incident response and practicing it is actually staff training is preparation and is part of the preparation for a real incident well as, as you said you know if, you know even if it's a totally different incident um the actual act of working through it um you know, makes people more familiar with the plan, more familiar with the processes, what comms, the, the, you know, what the chain of command does, etc. And that familiarity means that when it actually happens, people find it a little bit less stressful. You know, it's never going to be stress-free, sadly, but it'll be a little bit less stressful because it is a little bit more familiar because we yeah. ran through it. Now, um, uh, the, you know, the, management, you know, the instant management team who are kind of above us, as it were, one of the things that they can do very much for us is also authorise when you need extra resource. So if, you, if let's say, you're, our entire IT team is already deployed and we still need to do more stuff, we either need to get to every endpoint or we need to go to remote sites, possibly. Um, the the senior the instant management team are that will have the level of authority to authorize extra getting extra resource fast. Um, so that that that's very important, I think, for them to one understand that you know that's perhaps one of their roles, but also then they should also be acting to shield the incident response team. Now, internally, your instant response team will have a communication structure, and you might nominate a person to be front of house and the rest of you are invisible you know but but nonetheless that's the the incident management team it's their responsibility to make sure there's going to be enough stress around for everyone so the last thing they should be doing is is not protecting the teams that are working on it so part of their role is to make sure that there is adequate support for everyone else involved in it and adequate protection and oversight and so that's which is why it's also really important and it's kind of a separate function to the response itself because it's protecting the response in some respects yeah i think you i think you're really right there that's really really important because you really want your you know the it team the response team to be focused on response and not having to manage all of this you know comms from people when's this going to be you know back online oh i need to do this i need you know the the, the kind of normal user call um type stuff so i think that's important um you know, you you touched briefly on third parties. So you meant you you know you you sort of mentioned you know a third party cyber um, organization. I don't, you know, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about third parties, but I'm going to pick um, one particular third party, and I think you mentioned them quite early on in the the discussion here. You may have a need to involve the police. Oh yes. You know, action fraud. Um. Now. And, and of course, that's the right action. However, 
I think it's, you know, in, in my view, one of the things we've got to be careful about here is that their aims and what they want to achieve are different from what the school wants to achieve. So the school wants to achieve minimising downtime and recovery, whereas the police's requirements are to to basically, um, hopefully, um, investigate and gain conviction. Now, those two outcomes are slightly at odds. Would you agree? Oh, I completely agree, Gary, in the fact that they are almost totally at odds. For example, let's say, let's say um, server one has been compromised. So for as far as the uh, any kind of um, legal action, they would want forensic evidence, would they not? So they would want a forensic image of that server. It could be a large server. It could take quite some time to cre even create a forensic image of that server before we're then allowed to, to go wipe the server, fresh installation of operating system, scanning, scan the backup files and restoring individual files after they've been scanned and to, to bring our system back up. But of course, as soon as, we, as I say, our priority is get the server up, wipe the server, get a fresh operating system on it, recover the data, recover the clean data after checking it, bring the system back. That will erase all forensic evidence. So they are completely opposite to each other. The police will basically want you to preserve forensic evidence. We are being driven to return systems to functionality. And uh, yeah, so those are diametrically opposed requirements. Um, and there is, I mean, if I want to be a playing devil's advocate here, and I'll no doubt be chased down by even more people now. So there is another third party that you may be involved with. If you have cyber insurance, the cyber insurance company may actually wish to manage that incident on your behalf because fundamentally they're going to be footing the bill for the recovery of it and they are going to be torn between a different couple of sets of things if you think about the forensic evidence obviously the police want it for, for the kind of chasing the criminals down and getting a safe conviction the forensic evidence has a different function in some respects for the insurance company. Yes, possibly the insurance company might be able to get some back uh, money back from a criminal organisation eventually. But they're also going to want to be more interested in how did this incident occur so that they don't have to pay out for it again in three weeks time after you and I've rushed to rebuild all the systems. So and, and that is a that is a dilemma because you and I wouldn't want the systems compromised again. However, we're kind of going, oh, OK, well, if we wipe the system with cleaner, if we know this is clean and the operating system's clean and we're happy with the clean data, we are confident now that that system for the moment is clean and we isolate it on an isolated network that's not in contact with anything else. We would start to effectively rebuild a clean network. That's what we would do. Um, but uh, we would have no idea how we were initially compromised. We would be fully focused on the recovery, wouldn't we? So that, again, is a difference. So, so you've got three different, you've got two different people who, do, who want the, the insurance might want the forensics to prevent it happening again. The police want the forensics to try and catch the people who did it. And we just want to wipe all of our systems as quickly as possible so that they can be recovered. And it's how you square that circle, isn't it? I think it's a difficult circle to square. Um, I, I think, again, this is a good one for the desktop exercise. And, and actually... You know, discussing this at a senior level before it happens in order to actually you know work out what the approach is. I know that at one conference I attended a few years ago, um, their advice 
and, and it was general advice was you know in in all communications including communications with the likes of the police and things like that was to to give the information you have to give but limit it you know give little else and part of the logic there makes sense in that in a cyber incident quite often what you think you know early on may prove to be wrong and therefore jumping to conclusions about it got in this way or this is what happened until you have really been able to spend a bit of time looking at it is is likely a bad idea so and obviously that helps with um obviously not that you know your cyber insurers and your your police etc not wanting to dive in too quickly because you've limited the flow of information early on but i think that has to be a decision taken at a senior level yeah i mean i would i would be really interesting to see some definitive stats on it but for example um if you have a um let's say you've you've had a mailbox breached um you've resolved it you're happy you've remediated it i would that will have to be reported to the ico that's fine but you don't have to report that to the police. Yeah, and, and even the ICO, the question would be, it's about risk and harm. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think the, the ICO's ability to kind of respond to all things that are raised and whatever, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I think, um, I'm not sure. It, it's it's that risk-based decision-making, you know, where you have to make that, you know, was the risk significant enough to cross the threshold by which I have to report it? And that's, and that's really, as you say, that's all of these decisions are going to be either based on legal compliance or a value judgment. And that is the very specific job of the incident management team to, to navigate that tricky water because we're still going to be busy on trying to actually deal with the incident. The only problem or frustration for us as incident response team may be if they, if we are given an instruction by the management team that they've been in a given instruction by either the police or the insurer that we must hold fire, that we must stand position and watch Rome burn until they are bringing in their troops, by which time the Rome may have burnt itself out anyway and there'll just be some ashes on the floor. I- I think I might have pressed the big red button by that point, to be honest. Well, but um, um, I, yeah, I mean that. But that's um, that's the discussion, isn't it? With uh, the, with your incident management team, you've got to, you've got to say, look, guys, what what do you want to do? Do you want to just let Rome literally burn to the ashes, or do you want to try and mitigate? Do you want us to try and reduce the impact? Because if we don't act, the impact will increase. That's a fact. Okay, well, I, th- I think we're we're sort of getting to time, so I wonder. Um, Let's try and round this out. You know, a couple of bits of you know, a couple of recommendations regarding incident response. What 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 kind of two or three recommendations would you would you leave listeners with? Okay. Well, I think what we've the, the what we've gone into great depth and highlighted is the need to create something that's simple, uh, that is peer reviewed and is practiced as far as an incident response plan goes. Uh, and to involve senior management in in the in the creation of it and just and and delineate their 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 duties from our duties i think that's fair enough or let's say theirs and ours so management and response i think two different two different paths 
the uh, one thing we've not really talked about detection or analysis and I thought we could go on for hours about it but if you think about it in its simplest form detection analysis is going to be one of two things it's either going to be an automated system detection or someone's noticed something's broken that's it you're either an alarm's going to have gone off on one of your systems doot, 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 or someone's picked up the phone going oh my outlook's a bit slow this morning followed by everyone else phoning saying like they can't access out. You know what I mean? So so you're either going to have an automated system tell you you've got a problem, which will trigger your investigation triage, or a human phoning you up, triggering an investigation triage. And from that, that will lead to, uh, at the end of that triage, you'll either go false positive or oh shit, I think was your option, wasn't it? <laughs> right? That, and that's, that was. that's detection and analysis done right there. The containment and eradication and recovery, again, we've sort of said, Keep it flexible because, yeah, you could have playbooks and we said that's an option. But I think pra pragmatic, keep it flexible. Um, if you want, maybe a, a simple flow chart. But that will be down to the individual skills of your staff at the time, I believe, or the third parties involved. And then finally, once it's all over, post-activity, what did we do well? What did we do badly? What resources were we short of? What resources did we have too many of? How do we do it better next time? That's it, I think. Yep. What do you reckon? I, I, I think that's perfect. I mean, if I was just leaving with just a couple of points, um, aligning with a lot of what you've said, it is, you know, obviously, I'll start with the simplest. Make sure you've got an incident plan. Yeah. Um, to, you know, document it. And as we've said, pr pragmatic, simple, and accessible. You know, make sure and test it. Just having having a process is no guarantee that it'll actually work. Try it out, and then finally, as you you, you mentioned yourself, you know, make sure and and get the buy-in, get the engagement and involvement at the most senior level, at SLT, um, even at governor level. Mm, make yeah. sure you've got their buy-in and their involvement. Absolutely. Well, there you go. It's been a very interesting chat. And, and with that, thank you for listening to In Our Humble Opinion with me, Gary Henderson. And me, Ian Stubbridge.